Joshua chapter 1. I've been asked by many, many people in the last, at least the last five and a half years, what denomination is Grace Bible Church? How many of you have been asked that question? Been asked what denomination? Or essentially, uh, what they mean is, what do we believe? Uh, I uh, always spend time explaining that we are, Grace Bible Church is an independent Bible church. Uh, pretty soon, then the question comes, okay, what do independent Bible churches believe? Because a lot of people define doctrine by a denomination. In other words, if you belong to this denomination, this is what you believe. And honestly, uh, sometimes you can do that. There are churches that all agree to a certain statement of faith, uh, and they're all members of a particular, uh, particular local church body. This is when I explained that we are, Grace Bible Church, is non-denominational and theologically Baptist. Baptist in doctrine. Now, you see, this is one thing that a lot of people don't understand, is that Baptists are known in de to be denominational, and you have the American Baptist, you have Southern Baptist, you have Free Will Baptist, you have the General Association of Regular Baptists, you have the General Association of General Baptists, uh, you have the Missionary Baptist, you have, I mean, I could go on forever, but essentially, there are those who hold to Baptist theology that are not a member of any group. They're independent. And that's where we fall. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't participate with other groups because we do when it comes to our missions. We send out missionaries with other churches that, uh, that are of like faith to send missionaries who believe what we believe and they're taking that mes message and that gospel to other lands and other people groups. And we do this, we support them because that is an extension of our church in their lives. And we do cooperate. The Bible does talk about partnering with other churches. But when we think of a denomination, we think of a body that is over a church who commands and demands certain things of a church. That there are officers outside of the church that determine what that church is to do and what that church is to believe. And Grace Bible Church is not that church. We are an independent church. We are an autonomous. That means we're self-governing. But when it comes to what we believe, and this is the thing, Baptists, you can be a Baptist and non-denominational. Because because you're a Baptist does not make you a denomination. That is a word given to a certain theology. That's where a lot of people get mixed up. That's why a lot of people don't want to be called Baptists because they don't want to be a part of a denomination that can change and become liberal. And, and, I, and I get that. I, I certainly understand that and I agree to that. But the idea is that there is a certain name that was given to a certain theology that we hold to. The reason that we hold to that theology is because it is thoroughly biblical. Now, we don't use the name Baptist in our title because we use the word Bible in our title. And to be honest with you, as much as I appreciate Baptist heritage and Baptist history, I like the Bible better. And so we can go back to the Bible because essentially that is our authority. That's where the teaching comes from. And that is one of our distinctives. What I want to do is in the next few weeks is share what are the distinctive beliefs of Grace Bible Church. Because for those of you that are new to this body, this will be really informative. For those of you that have been a part of this church for a, a long time, hopefully this will be inspirational. And it will be a, a chance to go back and ask the question, 
why do I believe this? Not just what do I believe, but again, why do we believe it? And so we want to go through these distinctives. In Joshua chapter 1, I have you stand with me, and I want to read uh, verses 6 through 9. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. First verse, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer today, thanking you for your Son Jesus and for what He's done for us. We're also thankful for your Spirit that fills us and empowers us and strengthens us, Lord, so that we can carry out your, your commands. I pray, Lord, that as we begin to talk about our theology, our distinctives, that, Lord, it wouldn't just be some kind of a dry doctrinal study, but, Lord, it would be we would hit on points that are personal, that help people to live their lives, that they'll be able to relate those things to every day. And, Lord, that you'll use your word, again, to lift us high, to lift us up. Lord, that we can grow in our walk with you. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are eight distinctives that Grace Bible Church holds to. Eight distinctives, and we're going to go through each one. Uh, we're going to spend an hour today on each one of these. I'm sorry, not today. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time on these throughout the next few weeks. But there are eight, and these eight distinctives are, number one, biblical authority. It's biblical authority. Second is, and by the way, we can go ahead and turn to this. Yeah, there we go. And then we have autonomy of the local church. That's the self-governing of the local church. The priesthood of believers. Now, what does that mean? A lot of people understand that uh, w since we believe what we do, we're Protestant in a sense that we're not Catholic, that we don't believe anything about a priesthood. We do. But that every believer is a priest. Uh, the two ordinances, one of them that we'll observe today. Uh, individual soul liberty. What does that mean? How important is that to us? Uh, we believe in a saved, baptized church membership. All right? Two offices. And then the separation of church and state. We're going to look at that. So these are distinctives that we hold to uh, as a church that holds the Bible high. And we start with biblical authority. What I want to do in our studies on each of those is go thoroughly biblically through it so that you have an understanding what it is we believe and why we believe it. We believe these things because the Bible thoroughly teaches it. Not just based on some obscure verse, uh, not based on some notes that some guy wrote in a commentary in his study Bible, but we believe these things because the Bible clearly teaches these things. And so we want to we want to go through the, each of these in the next few weeks so that we can be encouraged and strengthened in that. Now, one thing like I like I prayed, I don't want this to become just a 
a simple doctrinal sermon. By the way, there's nothing wrong with a doctrinal sermon. Matter of fact, the Bible says we need doctrine. We need to, to take heed to our doctrine. But sometimes people can separate their life from their belief. And what we want to do is to understand that what we believe informs how we live. And so each of these, each of these distinctives matters that we believe these because of how it works in our life. So we want to start with biblical authority. In Joshua chapter 1, we have Joshua being called to lead the children of Israel. Moses' ministry was finished, it was completed, and he was given that authority, he was given that leadership to lead them. And it's interesting that in this text that we just read, how many times it says, be strong and of good courage. Only be strong, verse 6. Uh, verse 7, only be strong of good courage. That we're to continue to be strong. Verse 9, I've commanded you to be strong and of good courage. Not to be fearful, not to be dismayed. We are to be uh, strong. Now, if something is commanded, what does, that, what does that imply? It's something you can do. God never, now we may, we may ask or call on people to do things they can't do. I mean, I could tell my, my grandson Titus, I want you to go outside, take the keys, and I want you to move the cars. Now, he might be able to do that, but I would hate to see the outcome of that, you see. Uh, what I'm saying is that sometimes we, there are certain things that we command or demand of others, they just can't, they're not capable of doing. God is not like that. God doesn't play games with us. Whatever he commands, whatever he demands, is something that he equips us to do. And so uh, when there is, and in this particular passage, a command that we be strong and of good courage, that this is an act of the will. This is something we can do. Now, it's not just something we muster up. It's, it's not just something that we in our own selves uh, enable ourselves to fulfill this. Because when it comes to spiritual things, physical things, it's different. Uh, you know, the stronger we get physically, the more we're capable of doing. The weaker we are physically, the, the more limited we are in what we can do. Spiritually, there ain't nothing you can do. That's, that's Missouri talk. Ain't nothing you can do. What you have to do is look to the Lord. That's why He put the Holy Spirit in us to lead us and to guide us, to equip us, to encourage us and strengthen us so that we can fulfill His commands. Uh, remember Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, it's not something I can do on my own, but it's something God can help me do. It's something God can enable me and encourage me to do. And so, so with this, uh, this command, he is told to do this, and the, the, the implication is God's going to help him do it. But how is God going to help him do it? Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is in it. For then will you will your way uh, will you make your way prosperous? Then you will have good success. In other words, you will fulfill my command when you're in the Word. We believe, as Grace Bible Church, and with a name like Bible, you would think that we believe in Bible biblical authority, and we do. As a matter of fact, everything we believe begins with that foundation. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean by what it says? And then what does the Bible mean to me as it means 
to itself. In other words, we don't take the Word of God and make it just simply relate to us. I remember when I was in college, this guy was teaching or it was uh, preaching in chapel, and he was talking about uh, when when Paul ha- it was in the shipwreck, and and in the passage in the King James it says and the and the ship broke apart, and he spent about twenty minutes talking about how he when he was broke. I mean, he didn't have money and he was broke. Now that's taking a word out of that, and that is not teaching what it means. That's taking what it means and making it apply to something else. That's twisting Scripture. We don't want to do it. I'm not saying that that was a bad point, but there are passages of Scripture that deal with that. You don't have to take the Bible and make it change. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So I'm telling you today, it's okay to be a liar. Because God's true. So let Now that's not what the verse means. That's twisting Scripture. So what we do is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? And the implication is that God, when He speaks to us in His Word, that His Word is fully without error and is fully strengthened to hold us up culture and time after time after time in every single culture. It overlaps in culture. I have a question for you today. What is your guide What is the guide to your life? What is your authority? What is your truth? Is it your conscience? Let your heart be your guide? Well, the problem with that, the Bible tells us the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I don't know my heart. Sometimes I'm a good guy. And sometimes I'm not a good guy. And so if my heart tells me something good, that's nice. But sometimes my heart can tell me something bad. So the conscience is not a good authority. The heart is not a good authority to follow. Uh, What about the church? Is that your authority? Well, as the church follows God's Word and teaches it, it it has authority to lead, to guide, to correct, to counsel, to, to give help to. But the church itself is not the same as the Bible. You see, the Bible is not a product of the church. The church is a product of the Bible. The Catholic Church functions with this understanding that the Bible is true and the Bible is good and we follow the Word of God, but it's alongside the church. The church traditions, the church commands, the church, uh, all of the different uh, uh, thoughts, doctrine, documents, everything that goes out of the Catholic is in line with and equal to Scripture. No, we don't believe that. We don't believe that because the church is made up of who? People. Our authority comes from God Himself. We believe the church is an authority in as much as it tells us what God's Word says. The Word of God is our authority. It's not even the, the times that we live in. Because remember, the very people that tell us that society needs to change in certain areas told us 20 years ago that, the society, that society needed to be something else. 20 years before that, society said it was to be something else. And 20 years from now, society is going to tell us it's going to be something different than it is now. Society is not a good authority. God's Word is. And we believe in biblical authority. That's our first distinctive. And the reason we believe that it is an authority is because, first of all, the Bible is without error. It is without error. In Psalm 160, it says, All your words are true. All your just laws will stand forever. So the Word of God is not wrong. 
It's not even partially wrong. It's not even outdated because it says your laws will stand forever. It is truth. The Word of God is truth. Jesus even said that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was talking to God. He said, sanctify them, talking about you and me, sanctify us by the truth. Thy Word is truth. And if you don't believe in the authority of Scripture and you're not following Scripture, you're not growing. You're not being sanctified. You're allowing society, which ultimately the God of this world, is directing you and leading you. Be careful. Secondly, not only is the Bible without error, but it is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Look with me in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it is God-breathed. What that means is, is that men wrote it. Men picked up pens and they began to write it, but God breathed and inspired through His Spirit what they would write to keep it from error. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, in verse 16, how much of the Scripture is inspired? How much? All of it. All of it, without exception, is what it means in the Greek. All without exception. It is every bit of it is inspired. Now, what does the word inspired mean? Because that, that can mean a lot of things. I have uh, driven by a restaurant and been inspired to go inside and get something to eat. I have been places where I could smell the food and I was inspired to go and get something to eat. That's not what we're talking about. Somebody may uh, be inspired to write a song. They may be inspired. Uh, our forefathers were inspired to write our Constitution. Not the same inspiration as Scripture. The term God-inspired or inspiration of God, that term is a Greek term, theonoustos. It's one word, and it means God-breathed. God-breathed. And what that is is that God took men by their eyewitness accounts, by their witness from others, by their experiences, by, by, by history, by tradition, by all these things came together, and they wrote these Gospels, they wrote these epistles, they wrote these prophecies, they wrote this poetry, they wrote this law. And the, the inspiration of God kept it without error that it would forever stay relevant to our lives. Because something that never changes is this. Man is a sinner, God is, God, Jesus is our Savior. Those are two things that never change. So whatever society changes and does, and it always is interesting, whenever society says something and the Bible says something different, two things have to happen for you to accept what society says. Two things. One is, is that you discredit what God's Word says or you try to reinterpret. And it's interesting that reinterpretation is kind of a newer thing because if you look through church history, people in, in, throughout church history were at least gutsy enough to say, the Bible says this and it means this and I don't want to do that. At least they had the guts to do that. But now it's, well, I don't think the Bible really means that. 
And it's interesting, as I have read, and I've read a lot of what people are saying nowadays about how the Bible, uh, how we need to understand differently what certain passages and doctrines are. It's interesting that they don't have a background in hermeneutics. They have no background in languages. They have no background in any of this, for one thing. And even if they did, you don't take the Word of God and twist it into your own thinking. It never follows society throughout throughout all of church history the word of god was always at odds with the, with with the world and it's not going to change now so we have to determine who is our authority what is our authority and it's the bible because it is without error it is god breathed and thirdly that the writers were moved by the holy spirit Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21. It says, For prophecy never came by the will of man. Now he's talking about prophecy here. What's he talking about? Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that the prophecy of Scripture... When he uses the word prophecy, he's talking about the Bible. And this is very enlightening, this phrase here in verse 21. It never came by the will of man. So whenever somebody tells you, yeah, the Bible is just written by man, what, what, they, what do they mean by that? Did it, did it mean that they took the pen, they, they took a writing instrument, and they wrote? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it didn't just happen. It wasn't that there was an invisible, this invisible person writing this or the Holy Spirit went into a room where there was paper and ink and all of a sudden there was the Bible. And we know that men wrote it. That's what it says here. But it was not their will. It was not their thoughts. It was not their beliefs. It was what God told them to write. And then he goes on to say, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So if it's not their words, not their idea, not their will, whose is it? The Holy Spirit. And let me remind you that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So the Word of God is inspired. And by the way, it takes the Holy Spirit to discern the Word. So when you have a bunch of lost people or people in sin or people living in the flesh who are trying to justify their own sin, then they're certainly not going to understand the Bible. And they're certainly not going to teach it the right way. So what we have to do is know that the Word of God is our authority because it's without error. It is God-breathed. The writers were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it is taught to us by its author. In John 14, 26, it says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, which I have told you. When we're reading and studying the Word of God, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it and brings the words of Christ to our, our, our reasoning. One of the things, we, we, of course, we're encountering in our society is the issue of sexuality identity and things of that nature and i think that one thing i hear that is wrongly stated is that jesus never spoke of those things you say well i don't remember a verse where he did maybe they're right 
Now, what does the Bible say that he taught? What does the Bible say that he confirmed and affirmed the law? Remember, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to break the law. I came to fulfill the law. That's not just simply that in his own works that he would do what the law says, but that he himself would support and give authority to and that he would stand by that law. And certainly that would be fulfilled in him. And what does the law say about sexuality? What does the law say about marriage? What does the law say about these things? Jesus did speak to it. Now, obviously, we don't have every single thing that he said, but we do have every affirmation. And every affirmation was backing what the Bible says concerning homosexuality, uh, pornography, marriage, and other sins and things that we tend we can not like some sins and you know overlook some and 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 hold others up as a model of something we shouldn't believe in. He affirmed that which was righteous, and he sought to bring down that which was not righteous. If anyone ever questions God's word, if you ever question God's word. Let me, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to have some fun with you. How many of you have ever questioned God's Word? Would you raise your hand? Every one of you. You said, not me. I've never questioned God's Word. So when you lied, you were not questioning God's Word? Now, how many of you have ever lied? Okay. If you don't raise your hand, raise it because you just lied. Okay. There's at some point you have either lied by not telling the whole truth, or you've lied by telling a falsehood, whatever. But what I'm saying, we all have. And the issue is, is that when we have God's Word was true, and we were wrong. That's an authority. Is when we can always count on God's Word being true. I quoted Romans 3, 4 a while ago. It says, let God be true and every man a liar. doesn't mean that we're supposed to lie. But what it says is that when we compare our beliefs and our understanding with God's Word, God is always true, and if we disagree, we're liars. The Word of God never, never lies. Believing the Bible is our authority. Is first, acknowledging that the Bible is without error. Secondly, and this is really important, the Bible is without change without change. Now you, you, may, you may question that when you, we talk about versions of the Bible and we talk about manuscripts and we talk about, well, the Bible's changed because this verse used to read like this and now it reads like this. Well, I, I understand, that, it, but it means the same. And it's been translated with the, the intention or, of a good translation is that God's Word is communicated in a way of understanding. It did not change the Word what it did is emphasize the Word. It, 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 uh, it brought the Word out so that you might understand it. First of all, it is complete. The Bible is complete. In Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Settled in heaven. Second is that its author is unchanging. 
In James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no, ch uh, no change or shadow of turning. Now it's interesting that phrase, Father of lights. Where does that, where, where, what does that phrase mean? Well, in this passage, what are we talking about? Shadow of turning, shadow. And then in Him, as the Father of light, there is no shadow. And in that shadow, there is no turning. There is no change. God is unchangeable. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Because I've changed in some ways I shouldn't. You've changed in some ways you've struggled with. There are, there are things that we do and we change that is not good. Sometimes we change and it's good. You know, some things need to change. I look over pictures of our family when we were at my mom and dad's. Because a lot of times we'll get pictures out and we'll pull them out and we'll laugh over them. And, and there were some hairstyles that I had and Gordon had that we need to not have again. There need to be change as he rubs his head. Yeah, that's right. He had the most beautiful curly blonde mane. Have you ever seen You know, But I like him better now because I didn't know him. Now. now there are certain changes that are good. We change in our attitudes. We, we change as we mature. We change in a lot of things. Spiritually, we change as we mature spiritually. and that, That's good. But when we change meaning that this is right, but now it's wrong, or that was wrong and now it's right, we've got some problems. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is complete and settled. It also says that the author is unchanging himself. Whatever is unrighteous is always unrighteous. Whatever is righteous is always righteous. And the Word of God is without change, and it's not to be twisted by anyone. Look, at, look with you in 2 Peter. Uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 20. It says, knowing this first... That means of all things, know this first. If you're going to get started in interpreting Scripture, studying the Bible, reading through it, there's one thing you need to know right off the bat. This is what he's saying. He says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. What's he mean? What he means is that when you're reading the Bible and some meaning comes out of it, you better be sure, as I mentioned earlier, that it's really what it's saying. And that you're not twisting its meaning to fit something in your life. You know, you, you read a particular passage of Scripture that seems to relate to a certain situation. You know, it's like the guy who took the Bible and he says, okay, God, I want you to show me a verse that I can build my life on. And so he turned the page and says, it says and, and, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Uh, uh, Lord, give me another verse. You know, and it says, uh, what, you, what you must do, do quickly. And, he, and a verse came out and says, and, and do it now. You know, something of that nature. That's taking the Bible and making it something that God never intended it to be. Like some sort of a divination tool. Remember when you were a kid, some of you, some of you may not have done that. We made these little paper things. Well, the girls did in the class. I, I didn't do it. But it, they would, you know, do those things. And then you pick you pick one and all that and go. And then how many of you remember the eight ball that you'd ask it a question, shake it up, and this thing's floating in this fluid, and it comes up and it says something really generic. You know, or you get a, or, or you remember those those uh, valentines that would have some statement on them, you know, and all that. You just knew that that girl gave that to me, and that must be her heart. And then you found out that she gave it to the wrong guy. You know that kind of thing. 
That's what a lot of people do with the Bible. That's what they, they look at Scripture, they find a verse, try to apply it. And that's what he's saying here. Peter says, the Bible is no private interpretation. It means for you, but it means for me. The command to you is the command to me. And you say, well, I want it personal. That's where the Holy Spirit applies it personally. And that's where the conviction comes or where the passion comes or where God takes His Word and He teaches us His Word, leads us into what Christ has said. That's what the Bible does. It's not for us to take a verse and say, I think this is what it should mean for me. You tell me what the Bible means to you. Well, tell me what the Bible means first. And then how does it apply? And if it applies in a way different than what it means, then you've got a problem. You're twisting Scripture. And we don't want to do that ever. Ever do that. The Bible is without change. Thirdly, the Bible is without dispute. It's really without dispute. Its truth can't be changed. In John chapter 10, look in John 10, uh, verses 34 and 35. John 10, is, it's really indisputable. That doesn't mean people don't try to dispute it. That doesn't mean that they don't try to debate it. It's kind of like the man that came to Spurgeon and said, well, do you defend the Bible? And he goes, I don't defend the Bible. The Bible defends me. I would just assume defend a lion. How many of you feel strong enough to defend a lion? I don't think so. We don't have to. He says, let the Bible loose and it'll do its work. It's without dispute. John chapter 10, look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, it is not written, or is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods. And if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Now, what this is referring to is a passage of scripture that's mentioned in the Old Testament, and he talks about the, fact, the idea that they came from gods, that they, they were not themselves God, but came from God. And what he's saying there is he's giving the authority to scripture that if this is what the Bible says, then you need to thoroughly understand what it's saying. Go back to it. Embrace its truth. You say, but I don't agree with that. I don't believe that the Bible says... Then you need to understand what it's really saying. That's what, what Jesus is telling them. Is that the Bible is the authority, and if you don't follow it and you don't understand it, or it seems to be wrong, you, more study needs to be done. To go back to look at it so that you can trust it and believe in it. I remember I was telling our Sunday school class when my parents first got, got saved that they had invited the pastor to come over for dinner. My dad was a firefighter at the time. He was getting ready. He was late, late getting off work. and He called my mom and he says, you got dinner ready? I'm going to be a little late. She goes, yeah, dinner's ready. I'm ready to put it on the table. And he says, well, what, what did you make? And she said, pork chops. And my dad about lost his teeth. You know we read in the Bible, it says we're not to eat pork. You know that that's clean meat. That's not going to be good. We're bringing the pastor over and he can sin with us. You know what, which is the first question I had from my dad is, why did you guys buy it in the first place if you thought it was wrong? Okay. Secondly, of course, the pastor came and explained to him that it is not unclean, that that which was unclean was made clean in a new dispensation of Christ. So that when, they, uh, when he was told to eat, and in the vision, Peter says, well, I'm not going to eat that, that's unclean. The voice said to him, don't call unclean what I call clean. 
we're not under law. So they, the pastor, uh, as he was, uh, you know, taking a toothpick and picking the pork chops out of his out of his teeth, was explaining to them the difference between the law and grace, and understanding them. There are things that sometimes we come across in Scripture that we don't understand, and what that means is, rather than saying, "Well, God's wrong," or the word the word of God is outdated, no, maybe you don't have a grasp of it. Maybe you need to understand it. We've got a lot more of that nowadays than we used to. And the reason why is because of the way we interpret the Bible. Okay, I wanna, I'm going to share with you. I, I've taken some classes in hermeneutics, and I don't get to talk to you much about those things, so I'm going to share with those things with you now, okay? Hermeneutics is how you interpret the Bible, all right? And I have found that the reason other people believe things differently than we do is how they interpret Scripture. So if you can interpret Scripture right, then your beliefs are going to be right. And if you interpret them wrong or mixed up or messed up or something, it's going to come out as kind of weird. And what we have today are people who do not understand that the way God worked in the lives of believers from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, whatever that verse 20, uh, all, that, all the way through, that, he, that there, were, there was a progressive dispensations that he led us through led people through what that means is that certain people he commanded at that time certain things that they would follow him that they would do when they broke those promises and they broke those commands god gave them another dispensation and another one another one and we now live in grace that all the law has been fulfilled in jesus christ and that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we have the forgiveness of sins. And no longer do we have to sacrifice animals in the shedding of their blood to atone for our sins. Jesus did all of it. So as we study Scripture, we realize that there are certain things that Jesus, or that God Himself commanded, demanded, applied, supplied, that were different during different dispensations. For some reason, that is now, as people begin interpreting Scripture, they they don't seem to understand the differences of the ages that people live through. By the way, salvation has always been of grace. It's always been by faith. People didn't keep the law to be saved. They kept the law to be in fellowship with God. And today, in this dispensation, we're still to be righteous, follow the Word of God, so that we're in fellowship with God. It's not so that we'll go to heaven. It's so that God can work in our lives and raise us up and grow us up. And that's what's vitally important. And the reason a lot of people misinterpret Scripture and misapply Scripture is they don't know how to interpret Scripture. Because their pastors don't talk about hermeneutics on Sunday morning. So I wanted to share that with you. What we need to do is to understand that the Word of God understood correctly, to understood rightly dividing it, will lead us into truth. That's why not everybody's truth. Not everybody's right. You begin to talk to people, I want to tell you, there are people that you will talk to about spiritual matters that are way off the target. They're way off the mark. And you're thinking, well, Pastor, you think you're on the target? Well, yeah, of course. Or I wouldn't preach what I preach. Or I wouldn't worship where I worship. I wouldn't be where I am if I thought that we, we didn't have it the way it's supposed to be. You said, you don't think that you're without error? I know the Bible's not without error. The Bible's without error. I'm not. But I seek to pray and study and know and be led of the Spirit so that I can teach you what the Bible says. Not what I think it says, but truly what it says. 
We also know that the Bible, whenever it's broken, that it's observance, or what the Bible tells us when we don't do it, that there are always consequences for it. In Numbers 32, 23, it says, be sure that your sins will find you out. Galatians 6, 7, for whatever, uh, whatever one sows, that he also reaps. The Bible's our authority, and we know it, because it's without error, it's without change, it's without dispute, it's without defeat. Without defeat. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like fire? This is the Lord's declaration, and like a hammer that pulverizes rock. That's Jeremiah 23, 29. It's powerful. God's work is power. It's not just simply informs us about what's true and what's not true, but it gives us power to live it out. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I need to do. It's powerful. That's why we have an invitation. I, I, when I was in college, I, you know, I came from a, a, a heritage that we always had invitations at the end, an altar call at the end of the service. And I remember when we were in college, we kind of laugh about it because sometimes they would go on and on and on. People would come and pray. And and that's silly. And that's the way we thought. We were so sarcastic. In fact, the Lord didn't chastise us more as a a miracle to me. But we began to say, well, you know, we don't want to manipulate people. Well, we don't. We want to give opportunity, though, for people to act on God's Word working in their hearts. Isaiah 55, 11 says that when the Word of God goes out, it's going to have the work in people's hearts. And if we believe that people are going to receive the Word and that God's Word is going to make a difference in their life, we want to provide an opportunity for that to be dealt with before they leave. If you don't deal with it while you leave, that's okay. Deal with it at home. We're not legalistic about it. But the silliest thing would be is, is, is that when you provide something, and you know that God is going to use it, that you don't follow up with it. It's like somebody giving you hot sauce and not giving you a glass of water. That's crazy. You know, and that's the thing when we give the Word of God, and the Word of God is ministering in people's hearts. And how many people, you don't have to raise your hand because it may not be you, but people in services have heard the Word of God, have come forward during an invitation and gotten saved. My mom and dad did. He said, well, they would have got saved without the invitation. Well, I think they probably would. But God used the invitation. God uses His Word. It's without defeat. It's not empty. It's powerful. And then Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's powerful. The Word of God preached correctly cuts right through our minds, our hearts, and our intentions. It shows us what we're to believe. And it leads us into how we follow through on that. When I first began preaching and teaching and things, I, I, was, I would study the Bible, I would pull out its truths, and I would share the truths. Well, that's not bad. But there's something more to it. Helping people to apply it. 
And so one of the things is I begin to learn, because as I read and study, the last thing, I don't just simply read an account in the Bible, shut it, and I'm finished. I begin to think, how does that apply? And usually I don't necessarily ask that question. Usually as I'm reading it, I start to make, the Holy Spirit is making the application already. Jonah was commanded to preach the gospel to these people, and he was fearful, and he ran. Well, I can't buy that. And then he tried to hide from God and tried to hide his sin. I can understand that. And then when he was found out, he laid it before the men and said, you're going to have to get rid of me because I'm the one that's causing death to you. Consequences of our actions. I can apply that. And then while he was in the belly of the fish, the big fish, that God began to deal with him and he began to pray and ask God for forgiveness and restoration. I can apply I can apply that. And then he was vomited up on the... I can't really apply that. But I can go on and there's some things I can apply that as I go through Scripture that the Holy Spirit helps us to apply. And that's where we understand what the Bible does. It's authoritative. It is powerful it's without hindrance it's without hindrance you say how do we know that it cannot be hindered the prophecies of jesus we dealt with a lot of the prophecies whether it was in our musical or in our preaching or songs that we sang the prophecies of the coming christ that came to be there were those that tried to change that herod and it's un, it was unchangeable. It was set. God was going to bring about His will. The Bible is without hindrance. When the Bible gives us prophecies and said this is what's going to happen, you can do anything you want to change it, and it's not going to change. You say, well, what, what about this? And I know some of you are thinking very specific or technical. Uh, on this, and that is, the, I was just teasing Joanne, uh, but uh, it, it's this, and they begin to think, and say, okay, if I have the faith of mustard seed, and I say to this mountain, be removed, and I go to the Mount of Olives, and I remove it, then Jesus can't come, and the millennium won't take place, and so, there, see, I can do that. What's the problem with that? Do you, are you going to have faith to disobey Christ? Are you going to be have faith to try to thwart the plan of Christ? Faith comes by God. Faith comes by the Word. So even that is a misnomer when it comes to the things of God. So technically, the truth is the Word of God will always be true. And it will always be without hindrance. You can't hinder God's Word. Verse to write down, Matthew 24, 35. And then the Bible is without equal. It's without equal. In Psalm 119, verse 72. Psalm 119 in verse 72. It says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. It is without equal. There is a value to God's Word. In Hebrews 4.12, we read earlier, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It convicts it convicts when i'm reading the bible the bible shows me like a man looking in a mirror seeing the problems he has seeing things that he needs to clean up and fix. the bible convicts 
And what we do is from what the Word of God, we begin to make the changes through the Spirit of God. It converts. It converts. In 1 Peter 1.23, For you have been born again. Your new life did not come from your earthly parents because the life that they gave you will end in death. But this new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. The Bible corrects. It corrects. 2 Timothy 3.16 the, the whole Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable to teach, to convince, to correct, and to instruct in righteousness. You said that's a little different, the verse, than what the King James or the New King James says. Yeah, that was from the Geneva Bible in Some of the verses I've, I go back to the Geneva Bible. When the Geneva Bible came out, the King James was a new version. All right? Not only does it correct, it cleanses. It cleanses. Psalm 119.9 Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. As a kid, I wanted to be clean because I knew that when I sinned or I thought bad thoughts or I saw bad things and I talked bad talk, there was a conviction that the Holy Spirit gave me and I felt awful. I felt filthy. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. Take heed to the Word of God. That's how we cleanse our way. And then John 15.3, Now you're clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Not only does it cleanse, but it conceives. It means it gives life. Matthew 4.4, 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. John 6.63, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It conceives. The Word of God conquers. It conquers. The Word is sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6.17. And then last of all, it comforts. It comforts. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words from the Word of God. Where do we find comfort? I mean, we find comfort when a friend comes and shares some good thoughts. Or that we know that somebody is standing with us through a hard time. But when you can read the Word of God and God says, this is why you're going through it. Or God says that even though I may not know why I'm going through it, I know what this is going to accomplish. And, 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 and as we begin to read through the Bible, there's comfort and strength and encouragement and help, assistance in time of need. That's why we believe here that we counsel with the Word of God. We believe that problems are defined biblically and they are solved biblically. If we begin to give them titles and names of things that are not biblical, then we really start to put our problems in an area or in a box that can't be tackled or attached or, or even touched by the Word of God. The Word of God, God Himself knows the problems we have. Don't you think in His revelation that He would put in there why these problems are there? 
And I would say that the majority of the problems and the difficulties that we face are because of sin in our life. And if they're not because of sin in our life, number two, they're because of sin in other people's lives. And we happen to be in their line of fire. And thirdly, we live in a fallen world. But God's Word gives us an answer. God's Word gives us His power. God's Word gives us the worth that we need to live in this world. What do we believe about the Bible? We believe, first of all, that the Bible is the authority because it's without change, it's without dispute, it's without defeat, it's without hindrance, it's without equal. And as members of Grace Bible Church, what are we to do with the Word of God? I put a thing in your bulletin. I want you to pull that insert out. And this is what I want you to put next to your challenges for the new year. By the end of this year, you will not be able to get into your refrigerator because it will be totally covered with this, this kind of thing. But what we want to do is, what do we do with God's Word? First of all, we hear it. Second is we receive it. Third is we believe it. Fourthly is we study it. Then we teach it. Then we preach it. Of all things, we practice it. And that was, that's to be your goal this year concerning the Word of God. What do we believe? What is the first distinction that Grace Bible Church has? Is that God's Word is the authority. And we change our minds to fit with God's Word. When I was growing up, and I grew up in church. My parents were we got saved when I was about 18 months old. And all my life I've been in church. And in that time that I've been in church, I saw people in suits and ties with Bibles under their arms that sat very nicely and they sang the hymns and they prayed the prayers and they said amen when there was a good point to be made. I'm not trying to say anything, but... That was a wonderful thing. Uh, and they would uh, respond to the invitation and all that. And I remember growing up in that and having a judgmental attitude at certain points in my life. This is what these people, they don't know anything about the world. These people that come to church, man, how, how formal they are, how, how stifling they are. You know, they, they, they don't have any life in them. And that was very judgmental. Because since that time, as I've worked in ministry and I've been a pastor of churches and I have counseled with people and I've talked with people and I've dealt with people and I've dealt with my own life, that those people with their Bibles under their arms that were singing their hymns, that came to worship their Lord, that I thought in my mind they have no idea about what other things are outside. I had no idea. Those people had come from a life of sin of abuse, of criminal backgrounds, some of them. We had a man in our church, he was a deacon in our church, they come to find out he'd been part of the mob. Those, those deacons' meetings were really interesting, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Pastor, I'm going to break your legs. If you, no, I, I, that, but there were people in the church that looked like a Christian, like a believer, that in my mind, I was judging their hearts. There are young people that come into our church. 
They see us worship. They don't know what we've been through. We don't, they don't know that we were over there at one point. And they were like here right now. How many of you are thankful that Jesus saved you from the sin in your life? Would you raise your hand? That's who we are. That church that, that I was talking about that I grew up in, those were redeemed people. Whatever it looked like at that 19, the 1970s and 1960s and 70s, whatever, whatever in 2019 it looks like, we are people who've been saved by the grace of God. There will be people who will judge us about what we believe and what we think and how we carry on our life. And sometimes we need to be judged. But as long as this is our authority and this is our passion and this is our desire to live this, to practice this, to apply this, we're going to continue to grow and be what God would have us to be. And Jesus Christ Himself will be magnified and glorified. And that's why we're here. That's what we're here to accomplish. It's not about us. And it's certainly not to impress other people. It's to honor our Lord. Last statement. And we're done. And that is, either your Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Uh, I made that up. No, I, I, of course I didn't because I'm sure every one of you have heard this a hundred times in your life, if not more. It's a statement that has abundantly profound truth. When it comes down to the Word of God, when we need the Word of God the most, it's when we don't want to get in it. And when we need the, the, the Word of God, we, we need it at those times when we don't want to pick it up because when we open it and we begin to read it, it conquers the sin, the, the, the issues in our heart. The thoughts and the intents are separated. We're able to see what, what God is trying to do in our life. And if we let sin have its way in our life, this Bible will have no place in it. But if we will put this in our place in our life as our authority, as a daily go-to, we'll have victory over the sin in our life. People need the Bible. They need biblical authority. And that's where we stand. And our first distinctive is Grace Bible Church. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word and the truth that it gives us, the change that it makes in our life, the life that it gives. And Father, if I can just encourage our people, it's not simply to hold their Bible up as simply say that this is my authority and I stand on it, but that they really will stand on it. They'll really live it. They'll practice it. And that the Word of God would give them success and prosperity in their life. Father, we desire to live a life that pleases You. And I pray that through Your Word, You will encourage us to do that. Father, I know that there are those here today who have all different types of uh, things in their life, decisions that they need to make, and I pray that right now Your Spirit would so move them that they would not be afraid to step out, come forward, kneel at the altar and make things right with you. 
If they need to go to someone else and bring them to the altar to pray with, to make things right, let them have that wisdom and that freedom and that strength and that courage to do it. Lord, if they just want to come and pray for others, whatever the need is, Lord, that they would be yielded to Your Spirit. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.